and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books, something I try to pass on to old and new readers. While the Eye of Agamotto has been associated with Doctor Strange's bag of tricks, that's not always been the case. In his first appearance, Strange wore the amulet of Agamotto. So when did he receive the powerful eye? Stick around and see if you're right. Hello and welcome back to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. This is episode 15 for February 2nd, 2022. Today's magic theme came quite by accident. You can literally blame it on Batmite. The zany and thoroughly enjoyable Batman 133 from the Silver Age magically appeared in the archives. The issue featured not only Batmite, but Ace and also Batwoman. DC needs to archive more of their Silver Age comics because these are fantastic reads when you read them in the context of the times. Then there's the Legion piece on my introduction to the Legion of Superheroes that was planned for a Legion-themed episode. It got moved to this week because I talk about Mordrill and his being the baddie in one of those classic JLA Justice Society crossovers that guest-starred the Legion. But not to fear, the Legion is one of my favorite teams and there's tons of greatness to talk about in a future episode. Writing out the magic theme is a new collection of Silver Age Doctor Strange. While the good doctors had many changes over the decades, I am still drawn to those Ditko Lee early tales. So, I hope you enjoy this latest episode. Please send any comments and suggestions for future episodes to Fantastic Comic Fan, all one word, at gmail.com. Now let's get on with today's episode. Growing up, there was scarcely a comic book of any kind found at the library. Unlike today, where whole sections are devoted to comic books and graphic novels. Still, tucked away in a hardcover format was Batman from the 30s to the 70s. Batman and Robin are perched upon a rooftop with a purple black drop, and Carmine Infantino and Murphy Anderson were doing the artwork. The only Carmine I knew back then was this guy from Laverne and Shirley. I was still years away from paying attention to creators. Now the cover was a bit misleading because the book came out in 1971. It meant there wasn't much from Batman from the 70s, but hey, I was about 10 years old when I found this book, and I loved those Silver Age stories, probably more so than the comic books of Batman being put out at the newsstand at the time. Here's where I was introduced to the original Batwoman and her funky yellow costume with the red mask and red cape. Not at all creature of the night, more like target practice with those bright colors for the baddies. Also part of the family was the original Batgirl, Elizabeth Kane, who was the niece of Batwoman. You also get Ace the Bat Hound and Batmite. Now somewhere out there, I forget where it appeared, was a Batman family portrait with everybody, including Commissioner Gordon and Alfred. Below it says, Greetings from the Batman family. Bob Kane. I still love that picture whenever it pops up. Now I wish DC would reprint the original 30s to the 70s exactly as presented so modern fans can enjoy these fantastic tales. They are really worth checking out. Can you tell how much I enjoy these Batman stories from that Silver Age? Unfortunately, DC has not been great about archiving many of their older comics. Bob Cratchit had a better time getting more coal from old Scrooge than fans have of getting to read these classics. Sure, there are some great Silver Age Batman family stories in digital format, 
where there's also huge gaps. Which brings me to a curiously added archived Batman 133 from 1960, which just recently got added. That's a random issue, with missing issues before and after this issue. No other Silver Age Batman is on the schedule that I can see, so it's a bit odd to have it appear on Comixology and within DC's digital service. Hey, no complaints. I love this comic. The cover has Batmite riding aced, holding a sign of Batwoman. Batman and Robin come swimming in, but they're in the background. So of course I'm going to get it and read it over and over. The cover story is actually the backup story and not the first, but the second backup story. The lead introduces the world to Kite Man. Not the lamest to fake Batman, but probably in the top five. Hey, you get to see Batman using a pretty cool looking dragon kite to battle the Kite Man. And then the first backup has a dynamic duo boarding the SS Batman. And I ain't telling you more than that. Get your own copy. Now that takes us to Batwoman's publicity agent. Where once again, Batmite appears in Gotham to help out the crime fighters. Help is a relative term. Since he also causes more mischief and grief than anybody else. So, in typical Batmite logic. He states, since Batman has Robin to help him fight crime, he's decided this time Batwoman had her own assistant, and he, Batmite, is going to be Batwoman's new partner. Of course she balks at the idea, until the little gremlin promises to behave himself. Then with that promise, she agrees, with the dynamic duo in the background, Seiji pointing out, she'll be sorry. So soon, the new team of Batwoman and Batmite making headlines across all of Gotham City's newspapers. Hey, at one time, most major cities had multiple newspapers. Half-Pipe Partner vows against war against crime, and Batman teams up with a visitor from another dimension with some of the headlines. Now wait, how does Ace the Bathound figure into this tale, you ask? You're just going to have to pick up the copy yourself. This Silver Age Batman comic popping up in the archives was a delightful surprise. While Marvel and DC both publish fantastic Silver Age comic books, each had its own distinctive style. Not all Silver Age tales stand out, and this one sure does. It was great fun. Here's hoping for more, and hoping you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am glad there's a legion of superheroes engaged in the DC missiles again. In the past, the group has gotten a bad rap at times. DC Brass, maybe, thought all the many members and long histories were too confusing. Hey, I was 10 and understood the difference between Earths 1, 2, 3, S, X, and Prime years before Crisis came along. Over the years, in trying to simplify the Legion Mythos, all they did was muddy it all and make it worse. The first cover I remember seeing of the Legion was Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 235, from 1978. Superboy was strapped down, and Brainiac was at some council trying to erase the memories of Superboy they shouldn't have of the 30th century. I didn't buy it. Pretty sure 60 cents was a bit much for my 11-year-old self. During this time, DC had a line of DC Giants and Dollar Comics. My allowance could only stretch so far back then. The first Legion was a Whitman comic that I bought. It would be issue 245, a weird purplish cover with Mordru 
looking like he's getting ready to crush the earth. Whitman, part of Western Publishing and Gold Key Comics, both now long defunct, used to bag random comics in threes. They would remove the DC logo and replace it with the Whitman logo. You could see two comics by flipping the bag over, but that third, you had to carefully peel back the plastic to see what the third comic was all about. I cannot tell you how many of these reprints, Marvel had them too, introduced me to lots of new comics. Of course, comics always seem magical to kids, but I think we Bronze Age babies had something special going on. Lots of new formats, more genres, and stories that didn't get bogged down in crossovers and other fillers. Not all of the Legion has been archived by DC, but there's ton to read. The whole giant line all the way through the years to now is archived. Yes, Bendis' Legion is interesting, but you owe it to yourself to dig into the old Legion lore. There are some classics, and I do mean classic stories that you have to that have seemed to hold up over time. Now don't get me started on the Great Darkness or the five year jump or the well, you get the idea. However, my real introduction came with my first JLA JSA crossover in Justice League of America 147 and 148, which guest starred the Legion. JLA started the giant line when Steve Englehart jumped to DC for a year. He wanted to do longer JLA stories. Yet, he didn't write this two part story of the team up. Martin Pascoe did. The reasons why I forget in all the history of comics that I know in the back of my mind. I still love this two-parter with 19 superheroes battling Mordred and the issue ends on a cliffhanger with Black Canary and Green Arrow trapped in a huge hourglass and the sands threatening to overcome them and at my young age thinking they're going to kill him. Back then I didn't know anything about penciler Dick Dillon who would die in, at the age of 51 in 1980 of a heart attack. For 12 years, 1968 to 1980, Dylan drew almost every issue of the JLA. So that's issues 80, 64 through 183. Wow. You know, few creators can claim that run. You know, I wish now I had the chance to meet Dylan and he could see the impact he had after all this time. Now again, I highly recommend these two issues of JLA, not just for Dick Dillon's art, but for an introduction to a different JLA, a different Justice Society, and a really cool version of the Justice, uh, excuse me, the Legion of Superheroes. Now remember, decades old comics do not mean bad comics that read is outdated. Check them out. They're around all over the place. So, Doctor Strange is dead. Again. What? You thought he's never died before? Please. Just about every Marvel character dies at least a couple of times. I give Marvel credit for something actually happening in the death of Doctor Strange mini-event. Too often in the past, these things come off as bells and whistles, and in the end, well, nothing much happens. Not so in the case of this one. So if you're missing the good Doctor, now might be an excellent time to brush up on some of his earliest tales. And doing so, just got to you. Coming out this week is Mighty Marvel Masterworks, Doctor Strange Volume 1, The World Beyond, which collects the strange adventures through issue 129 of Strange Tales. You might be surprised to know Doctor Strange entered the Marvel Mythos without much fanfare. In fact, you could almost feel a collective yawn. 
You see, strange tales have been going along for 12 years now, having started at the dawn of the horror boom in 1951. It continued as a Weird Tales anthology until the Human Torch gets added with issue 101 in 1962. The Good Doctor makes his appearance in Strange Tales 110, which features the cover of the Human Torch battling the wizard and Pace Pot Pete in 1963. Buried in the back, past two other Strange Tales, is the five-page introduction of Doctor Strange. Five pages? A modern reader of comic books might ask you, what can you do with five pages? Well, in the capable hands of Ditko and Lee, quite a lot. Many of those things that lay the foundation of the Doctor Strange mythos are introduced right here in this first five-page story. Wong, the Ancient One, and the Sanctum Sictorum are all here. Through mostly effectively hidden shower, shadow, Nightmare makes his first appearance also. I've always liked Nightmare at his most sinister best. To see what I mean, check out the story arc leading to the Incredible Hulk 300 by Bill Mantlo and Sal Buscemi. That's truly scary stuff. Let's talk about Ditko for a moment. Many fans know him for his pencils in the early years of Amazing Spider-Man. But, in my opinion, his Doctor Strange work in Strange Tales is even better. Ditko's art makes for a distinctive representation of Nightmare's realm, the astral plane, or whatever strange dimension Doctor Strange travels through in any issue of D Strange Tales. Many artists have not precisely tried to duplicate, but pay homage to Litko's landscapes. Homages they will only be, because no one did it better than Steve Ditko. We don't get the origin of Doctor Strange until Strange Tales 115, and the Doctor don't even get a mention on the cover for the origin. Those two attention seekers, Spider-Man and the Human Torch, hog up the whole cover. At least this time around, Doctor Strange got eight pages to tell the origin, which we will all become familiar with and hasn't changed much over the years. And do I care that Wong doesn't get named till Strange Tales 119, or that Doctor Strange hardly gets mentioned at any of the covers? Or that some of those stories are so short? No, not at all. You see, you get the foundation of Doctor Strange laid out in that Ditko way. In this collection of tales, Nightmare pops up more than once, along with Baron Mordo. We get the first appearance of Clea, Domamu, and the Mindless Ones. This makes a great collection. One, anyone who's missing the good doctor right now should definitely check out. Now before we wrap up, let's answer this episode's trivia question of when Doctor Strange received the Eye of Agamotto. That would be in issue 127 of Strange Tales from 1964. After returning from the Dark Dimension and his battle with Dormammu, the Ancient One presented him with the Eye and his Cloak of Levitation. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time. <laughs>